Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey, Wingman fans. This episode is brought to you by... All right, this past year, actually the past two years, we have been working here at Wingman through Eastman's on a new sage-grouse film. And it's not just the sage-grouse hunt, guys. It's about sage-grouse and being in trouble and the impact that they have economically if their habitat is shut down. And Leupold was awesome enough to come on and sponsor that project. And so we got to use Leupold glass on on that project. And by glass, I mean spotting scope in particular. And I, I, I got to put a piece of glass that I've always wanted to try which was the Leupold Gold Ring Spotter to through the paces. I used it for glassing sage grouse on lek, for glassing habitat. I even used it last fall when we filmed the hunt portion of that project to look at birds and examine habitat and try to spot birds at a distance. And I was actually able to pick out some birds at a long ways away on a hillside where we were pretty sure there were grouse. And so we, before we went and walked it, we actually glassed it. And I used that, I used that loophole gold ring spotter. And I was actually able to turn up some grouse on a ridgetop. And we knew they were there. We got in, got on the birds. So I guess my point is this. I had some questions about the loophole gold ring spotters. And I got to put them through the through their paces, not just for the Wingmen Sage Grouse project, but also I got to put them head to head with some of the other top spotting scope brands in the business for a review for Eastman's Hunting Journals. And this was not this was earlier this summer of 2022, and that spotter was so bright, so crisp, so clear that it blew me away. And so if, if you're looking for a new set of glass, a new spotting scope, maybe a new pair of binoculars, guys, you need to be checking out Leupold. Obviously, Leupold is known for making top-notch rifle scopes. That doesn't apply so much to us here in on the wingmen side of things. We're not using rifle scopes unless we're hunting big game. We're not talking about that. But for using a spotter and using binoculars... Man, Leupold is our go-to here at Wingmen. They are top-notch, and I can't wait. I, I, I got a new idea about how to find chuckers in the late season when there's snow on the ground, and it's going to be using that Leupold Gold Ring spotter. I already use Leupold, the Leupold spotter, for glassing up distant waterfowl feeds. Say I can, out here in the west, I can get a high vantage point and I can look over a large expanse of agricultural area and I can pinpoint without having to burn a lot of gas, which at $4 and plus a gallon these days <laughs> means a lot. Without burning a ton of gas, I can sit up on a high vantage point and use that loophole gold ring spotter to pick apart countryside and see where the ducks are feeding, where the geese are feeding, and I can scout a lot, a lot, a lot of area in a very efficient manner. So guys, if you're looking for a new spot or new set of binos, obviously a new rifle scope, please go to loophole.com and check out their full line of stuff and then go out to a retailer 
and get your hands on them. Get them outside, and I think you'll be as impressed as I have been. Hey, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Wingman Podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Todd Helms, and I've got Jordan with me from Duck Gun Chronicles. Uh, Jordan, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. Just uh, trying to make it through the heat of the summer and and count down the days till fall. <laughs> oh, I hear you there. Where where are you? Just so the listeners know. Sure. Yeah, I'm in uh, northern Indiana, um, the the waterfowl mecca. <laughs> what town? Um, if you well, it's a, it's a small town that probably nobody's heard of, but I'm pretty close to South Bend, which most most people know of. So yeah, uh, that's sure. generally what I say because <laughs> otherwise, um, you, you know, it's just not a, a well known area. Yeah, no, I get it, I get it. Yeah, looking at your YouTube channel, man, it looks like you do a little bit of hunting in uh, my old stomping grounds up in Michigan. Yes, I do. Yep, Michigan is uh man, it's a. Uh, it's an awesome state for, for the outdoorsmen, tons of opportunity, no matter what it is from fishing to hunting, just outdoors, tons of, uh, uh, forest area and, and, uh, you know, really a, a, a huge variety when you think about all the different, uh, um, ecosystems they have, uh, up there for hunters. Yeah. I was just watching, uh, a hunt you did, uh, with, you took your bus, you so before we get any any further in just what do you do for a living and how did you get started in in hunting and especially in duck hunting yeah so what i do for a living so um i do online marketing as well as i i work uh, at a local company um and i sell safes deliver gun safes that kind of stuff so uh, keeps me busy uh doing that all year round, really. It's, it's my full-time job. So, um, and then as far as how I got into hunting, um, the first experiences I had hunting were with my grandpa. Um, and he would take me quail hunting. It was a, a family tradition every Thanksgiving. Um, we did it for a handful of years and then he kind of, uh, took a turn for the worst on his health. And, um, and that's when we kind of had to stop doing that. So, uh, but it was, you know, something that stuck with me. Uh, I didn't grow up in a hunting, a hunting family, but those memories stuck with me. Um, and when he passed away, he, uh, handed down to me an old a five and those are famous for bird hunting, whether it be upland or waterfowl. So, um, he handed down to me a 20 gauge a five. And that, that was really the catalyst that got me back into hunting. I, he, I, I got that gun from him. And I uh, just got the wheels turning and I really just started doing some research. And from there I, I fell into uh, waterfowl hunting, um, something I'd, I'd never done and uh, just jumped into it. And it's one of those things you're going to, uh, when you jump into it, you're either going to uh, sink or swim. So I had to learn how to swim, kind of uh, figuring that out on my own pretty fast. There's, those are huge hurdles, man, when you're trying to overcome, you know, all of that, that's a big learning curve. And uh, the, so that, so that A5, that 20 gauge, does that, uh, the Woodstock one that shows up in your, in, in your videos? Yep. Yep. It definitely is. So that's I cool. still use it uh, to this day. Uh, I keep telling myself I need to hang it on the wall, but um, just the memories that I have with it, it's, it's, uh, and it's just a, such a fun gun to, 
to hunt with. I keep pulling it out every year. Oh, I do. I would do the same thing. And I would bet that he would, uh, he would tell you to use it, man. I think that's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Good for you. You just finished up your Turkey season back there. How did, how'd it go? Man. Uh, I actually went up to Michigan for one of my hunts. One of my buddies invited me up there. Um, and that one was a slam dunk. We had the, the turkeys come right in. Um, and I actually got a new turkey gun this year. It's uh, a Mossberg SA 410. So, uh, and the, the birds came in, came in perfect right off the roost. It was, uh, you know, we couldn't write a better script for it. Uh, the only, the only downside was I missed my first shot. So he no. was about at seven yards and I complete whiffed. You, you could see a few feathers kind of puff up. Um, and then he started running off and, and I, and I dumped him about 20, 25 yards out. So, um, that, that one went pretty good. And then in Indiana, um, as the day after opener, got my dad on a bird again, couldn't write the script any better called it was a battle finally got him uh coming out to us in the field just strutting around beat up the decoy and then dad uh just just dumped him so uh that was great and then it came to me and and uh <laughs> let's just say that uh my indiana season uh, didn't go as smooth as as the rest of that you know i was um fighting fighting wary birds and there's one bird in particular i passed up on on some other opportunities because there was this absolute giant and i saw him and, and just kept working on him and finally, after hunting this bird for about five days, I uh, got him right into the decoys. And wouldn't you know it, I I, uh, <laughs> I missed him. So oh. uh, that one that one kind of hurt. Uh, and I, I might have to rethink this this 410 stuff. I don't know. Um, not really. It's just it's just one of those things that uh, when you haven't shot a gun a, a lot, you kind of got to get used to it. And uh, there's real no there's no uh, excuse for me missing, <laughs> but it happens. So. If you haven't missed a gobbler, um, especially at close range, it's because you haven't been doing it very long. I tell you what, I think those close shots are harder than the mid-range stuff, hands down. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a turkey a choke, you're shooting like a – it's like shooting a baseball at them. If you're just off a little bit, um, you know, then then they're going to be a clean miss. So uh, this guy, I did I did pop some feathers off of him. Um I just was left and over his back and I'm pretty sure it was a clean, a clean miss. I didn't see any blood or, and, uh, he actually flew away and he seemed like he was, he was fine, but I still spent, you know, um, at least a couple hours looking for him and, um, you know, didn't see any sign of him anywhere. Uh, but it was, that was the first Turkey I've ever missed. And, you know, I, I've, I've missed and put another shot into him, but I've never missed. And, and wasn't able to harvest the birds so that one that was was a bit of heartbreak not gonna lie yeah i i can hear you there did you get did you get cheap out after him you're so you guys i <laughs> I, I act like i know you just because i've watched videos um it's kind of wild awesome. in today's world of social media and videos and all that stuff it's easy to have an acquaintance with somebody that you've never actually met you know what i mean yeah yeah oh yeah i know exactly what you mean but your dog, you've got a let you've got a bird dog, a, a duck dog, chief, uh big old chocolate lab, big old bruiser of a boy. I, he could have he could have made short work out of a gobbler. Yeah, yeah. I've I've thought that in the past. I had a um one a couple of years back, a few years back, where I, I shot the turkey and uh 
didn't didn't hit him real clean and and had to track him down um and first thought was i wish i had chief with me but you know ended up not being too bad of a uh of a, a track job <laughs> and uh was able to find him pretty quick but you know that is as a duck hunter you're so used to having your dog it's almost like a crutch you, you're seeing that uh or you're, you're used to if you have a bird go somewhere you just send your dog and he goes and gets them so um that is something that comes to mind when i'm turkey hunting yeah i have a buddy uh that guided turkey hunters for a while up in back in michigan and he had a big old black lab and he used to take him with him and just cover him up with burlap and they had a lot of birds that otherwise would have gotten away if they wouldn't have had that dog right there. It wasn't even, it wasn't even a, a challenge for the dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, my first thought would be worrying about the spurs, but you know, maybe, maybe not too much to worry about. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't know why I asked him about it one time and, and he said, no, he's never, never had a bird, you know, that, that spurred his dog or, or hurt his dog. But, um, Cranes, on the other hand, that's a different, that's a different story, man. I tell you what, it was in Oklahoma this last November and, and listen to those guides talk about using dogs on cranes. That's different. That's a whole other ballgame. That's like full on warfare. Oh man. Yeah. I've heard the same. Pretty crazy stuff. But so you, so you got into hunting, uh, your grandpa got you into it and you've ramped it up in the last couple of years. Um, if you guys haven't checked out Duck Gun Chronicles on YouTube, check them out. Uh, Jordan's got some awesome videos on there. Tell me about the bus, man. You guys did. You, you built a duck bus. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, just the idea, you know, I'd, I'd seen it where it's, it's kind of been like a thing. Uh, I don't know what kind of spurred it on, but um, it's been a thing where a lot of people um, have started converting old buses short buses sprint vans the back of trucks it's i mean you you watch on on youtube and and other places that's kind of where i got the idea i've, I've seen other people do it and i'm like man this would be super cool and super uh useful for duck hunter and i call it the duck hunting camp on wheels and that was my whole idea being able to um take a bus and convert it into your duck camp on wheels and so um, I, uh, bought a short bus. It's a micro, uh, bluebird. It's like the shortest short bus you can buy. It's got four windows, um, and Love just it. a little, you know, a little bit of space behind there. So pretty much it's like, a, it's like an express van, but it's like a cutaway. So cutaway, and then you have a, a small section of bus on it. Um, so I, I mean, literally the reason I got the, the smallest one possible is I'm just trying to be economical when it comes to the, the gas and, and, <laughs> or the diesel which you know honestly when i when i bought the bus gas and diesel were not nearly this expensive oh so that's a, a, a pretty uh a big kick in the gut for, for my plans <laughs> of travel and um let's just say i probably won't be going uh, as far as i would have liked to right now but you know hopefully all that comes back around in the next few years um you know i don't know if we have any any hope for the immediate future but that's kind of, you know, it kind of seems like we're, we're going to be stuck with some, some bad gas prices going into this waterfowl season. But um, yeah, so it's got, it's got a couple bunks in there. We've got a table in there. Um, it's a dinette, I think it's the proper name for it. But, um, and that actually goes into a third bed. Um, we got uh, a wood burning stove is the heat source when you're set up for camp, um, which does pretty good. 
most of the time. It does pretty good until you get to like sub, um, like in the twenties mm. to the, the the teens, and then I mean you're just cranking firewood in there <laughs> to keep yeah. to keep warm. We had one night, man. We camped out and it was like zero degrees, and it was like every two and a half hours I had to get up and and uh, you know put that thing back full of wood. Um, and I woke up and my pillow was froze to the window. So <laughs> it's, it's a lot warmer than it is outside at zero. We were like parked right next to the lake. So we're getting a lot of wind too, but it's, a, uh, it was, it was bitter cold outside, you know, but inside, you know, we're keeping it. I don't even know, probably I'd have to say probably like 50 degrees. So, you know, which is, sure. is pretty manageable, put a hoodie on and, and you're good to go. But, you know, the only downside is getting up it's a pretty it's a pretty small uh wood burning stove so you're getting up every you know two and a half hours which can it can it can wear on you <laughs> if you're doing longer trips so uh but yeah you know, honestly it's worked out great we we took it for uh, our chasing the opener tour we do every year where we kind of go up north and follow openers down uh that's kind of kicked it off and we had great weather for that especially for camping in the bus um and then yeah, just just been using it here and there every every chance I get. So it's it's uh it's a lot of fun having having that vehicle at my uh, disposal for hunting season. Heck yeah, man! No, that was one of the things that I saw, and it reminded me of uh, um, my grandparents. I'm a little older than you are, but my grandparents' generation did all that stuff. They came back from World War II and they had hunting camps all over the place and they turned old school buses into mobile camps. Like that was a common thing. And they, that's what they did, man. And it like put a stove in them like you guys did. And so that was super cool to see somebody do that uh, for ducks. I think that, I think that's awesome. What's the, what's the furthest you've taken a road trip with it? Oh, honestly, I haven't taken it too far. Um, The furthest I've gone is up in UP, Michigan so far so um actually i ended up canceling some of my my further away trips last year we had a planned out to uh nebraska but i ended up having a surgery and i had to cancel uh um quite a few of my out-of-state hunts so um haven't haven't really kind of taken it to its full you know extent yet but uh we'll see we'll see what this year holds again like i'm saying man i want to but that gas price is just it's a it's a it's a kicker so um we'll see no, it's absolutely, you're absolutely right. It is so cost prohibitive. Um, just something we've all kind of got to swallow. I know looking at hunts coming up from big game stuff all the way through bird hunts, it's definitely going to be trying to maximize close to home opportunities for the, for this next yeah. year, maybe more, but, uh, well, that's cool, man. I, 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 I was hoping you were going to say the UP that's, that's where I grew up. That's kind of, I kind of bounced around all over the place up there and man had some grew up with just some phenomenal waterfall opportunities. Yeah. I, I love going up to the UP. I've been up there, um, the last few years and it's just, uh, it's, it's a, just, I mean, honestly, I've fallen in love with the whole state of Michigan. Um, just being like, um, just South of you guys, I really never knew all the opportunities you have and, and, you know, I don't want to hotspot it too much, but. <laughs> oh, I'm not saying hotspotting. That, that place definitely gets enough of, uh, it gets enough pressure. That's for sure. And I'm not going to ask you where you hunted by any stretch, but it, <laughs> at least while we're recording anyway, it'd be, be fun to compare notes, places you've been versus places I grew up hunting. And oh, yeah. when I lived back there, but uh, we can do that. We can do that after we turn off the record button. <laughs> 
No, we just need to send everybody to Nebraska. That's the yeah, yep. <laughs> yep. Nebraska, send them down. Send them to Arkansas. Let them go fight each other on the public ground on Arkansas. Oh yeah. Oh man. So tell me about Chief. I'm in the I'm in the throes of training up a new puppy right now. Um, my new buddy is he's a little over a year old, and been working through all of that, trying to document it the best I can. But how old is Chief, man? Where'd you get him? How did you how'd you train him up? Awesome. Yeah, that's that's super cool. You got a dog. That's a that's a fun time when they're young and working through it. It can be frustrating. But, uh, you know, once you get through it and you get them to a certain part, you know, it's so it's so rewarding um, to have done that and, and get them to that that spot um, with Chief, man. Chief is a super unique dog because <laughs> uh, I got him from. So my wife actually bought him for me. She bought Chief. Um, there was like an ad on a Facebook page um, and I got him right about the same time as my grandpa gave me that A5. And, uh, um, literally no experience with hunting at all. And that was part of it too. That, you know, I, I said the gun that, that grandpa passed down to me was the catalyst, but also it was, you know, getting that dog at the same time, chocolate lab. And you're like, what do chocolate labs love to do? They love to hunt. So, um, kind of came hand in hand. So I was taking chief hunting and, I, and I'll tell you, don't do this. Anybody listening, don't do this. But, uh, I was taking chief hunting when he was six months old. So, um, <laughs> let's just say uh it was not it, it's just it's not smart to do so uh, uh he had little interest in what we're doing uh when when things got slow and uh that was frustrating for me and and we created a lot of bad habits and um, <laughs> believe it or not he actually got gun shy um Ooh. you know and that was my own fault so and a lot of dogs can't recover from that so um luckily he had the drive hidden somewhere inside of him that I was able to unlock and and from that he's able to overcome that uh that gun shyness but uh if you have that with a dog some dogs just never overcome it so yeah. um I, i'm fortunate that that i was able to overcome that with him but he is uh he's not a purebred but i mean he could be i don't know because he doesn't have papers like i said my wife bought him it was from like a a mennonite or amish farm um and we saw his mom and they said that uh uh, his dad was a neighbor dog that came over and <laughs> so, so I feel like I won the lottery as far as it goes with dogs. Cause he's a, he's an excellent retriever. Uh, he's an excellent meat dog. He's not a, uh, he's not a, uh, champion. Um, uh, why can't I think of the word, but, uh, <laughs> a trial dog. There we go. He's not a champion trial dog by any means, but he goes out there. I, I shoot the birds and he gets them. Um, and he, I mean, I'll, I'll put them uh, head to head with any other meat dog in my area as far as nose goes and drive and, and desire. Like I said, he still has some bad habits um, just because I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't train him to start with. Um, I just kind of went and hoped he'd figure it out. Right. <laughs> so right. Uh, he, uh, he, we got some issues with breaking, so I, I still have to tie him up um, just because I didn't realize that was such a big deal as a, as a young hunter with a um, you know, inexperienced and inexperienced dog. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It, that can be, it can be super dangerous, man. And don't, don't feel too bad about that. I know a lot of guys that had breaking dogs. I have, I have one, my old dog is, he's gotten steady now, but it's taken years and years and years of me working and working and working and working and working. Yeah. And yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that just don't even, don't even train that out of them. That's something that I've, I've, uh, 
you know, committed myself to the next time around uh, from the get go of being able to do that. Cause it's just, like you said, it's unsafe. Um, I don't, I don't even bring them on uh, dry field hunts anymore yeah. because they can just get out there so quick. Yep. Uh, we hunt out A-frames 99% of the time, but if you lay out and you have a dog that breaks, it's just, it's not even worth bringing a dog that breaks on a hunt like that. Like you said, it's, it's dangerous because they get out there so quick um, that either you're going to not be shooting or if you're shooting, it's going to be uh, dangerous, dangerous shots for the dog. So um, it's something that if you're going to be serious about duck hunting and it, you really do need to have a dog that's steady. So, um, but if you get a dog at a certain age, it's really, it's one of those things that's uh, um, near impossible to train out of them. You know, and, and it's interesting you say that I, I also kind of add to what you're saying is I'd almost, I almost like to see a dog that's, that's eager enough that he'll break. Even if it's one, even if it's only, even if it's every time, if, as long as I know that, if I, if I'm hunting with, say you and I were hunt together, I know chief's going to go. I know he's going to go. That's in the back of my mind. And I'm looking for that dog. I'm not taking low shots. I'm not shooting cripples on the water without knowing where he is. You know, I'd almost rather have that than a dog that doesn't have enough drive to get the job done. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a happy medium there. So you want a dog that has the drive that they, that they do it, but also, you know, train the restraint into them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what, that's what I'm working on right now. Don't, don't give up on it, man. I, I figured my old dog was a lost cause when it came to that. And, uh, these last couple of seasons, he's steady as a rock. So it's one of those things awesome. where I think he kind of grew out of it, but I did, uh, I did the same thing with the young guy. I didn't, I did not hunt him early. I hunted, I've hunted all my dogs early, kind of like you were saying. And I didn't do that with this, with this young pup. Uh, specifically because I didn't want to develop those bad habits that I inadvertently trained into my other dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Oh, cool. Well, what else, what are you, what are you doing this summer? I mean, what's the plan? What's life look like in, in Northern Indiana? Yeah. I mean, this <laughs> summer it's, uh, you know, just kind of, uh, getting caught up. I got my, uh, honey list and all that, that I've been neglecting during season and, um, you know, just really getting a lot of that stuff squared around because, uh, you know how it is once season comes, if you're, if you're taking it as, as hardcore as we do, it's just, uh, something that, uh, <laughs> you kind of run out of time for those things. So I, I always try to make up, uh, for that last time and, you know, uh, spending time with the family, taking my kids fishing, uh, just enjoying that and, and counting down the days, you know, I do got some, uh, like I said, with the YouTube channel and podcast, we're recording weekly. So that keeps my mind on waterfowl still. And then, uh, the YouTube channel, it's, uh, um, gearing up, getting ready for, uh, all the videos that, that I release, you know, whether they're hunts, I got hunts that I, that I keep from the year that don't quite make the cut or I run out of time to edit. And, and, uh, I release those, uh, in August and, and usually do a bunch of like, uh, project videos. I mean, we did the bus conversion step-by-step step last year in August. Um, I did the snake swamp series, which, uh, I got the swamp property, um, and, uh, did some management in there, some blind builds and, um, you know, just, just stuff like that. So I got some projects this year, uh, same, same thing where, where I'm doing little series. And, and one of them I got going is I bought a couple sailboats, <laughs> and I'm converting those into uh um layout boats so oh cool 
Yeah. Yeah. It's actually, uh, I, I saw that idea out there. I'm like, man, that'd make a, a great series. Um, some, you know, so I, I can't say that I'm the, the original idea on that, but uh, it, it looks like it, it's kind of similar to a sneak boat um, style. Maybe if you've seen, um, i trying to think of like four rivers or, or something like that. Um, or uh, yeah, beaver tail's got some as well that you can mm-hmm. lay out in. Yep. Uh, so that's the style it's going to be. Um, just cut it up, reframe it, uh, fiberglass it, uh, put a mud motor bracket on there, a little, little six and a half horse mud motor, uh, a little blind on top, and we'll, and we'll be in business. So um, that's the pl- that's that's the major project I got this year. And then we're doing some more up. I think that bus is going to be one of those things. It's like the the, pro- the never ending project because I got yeah. it right now. Um, and I mean that that took up a lot of my time last year just working on um, just working on that. It, it just took a lot of my time. Um, I mean, just the I, I lost track of how many rivets were in that in that bus. And buses are made to uh, not come apart ever. So um it's not like they're using screws or anything like that i I think there are some models that use screws and if you're going to do a conversion that's one thing honestly that's one thing to think about because i mean it took me oh i don't even know i wish i would have tracked how many hours but uh i mean hours and hours and hours of sledgehammer and pry bar and just just taking every rivet out by hand and and using a a grinder and and oh man it was it it was uh, a battle but we got through that. So that bus is, uh, you know, it's in the functional state right now. Um, but I definitely, there's just little things that, uh, I could keep working on. I got to add a winch, uh, on the front of it. I got a 1200 pound winch or 12,000 pound winch. Sorry. Uh, and, uh, I got stuck a couple times on boat ramps and, you know, it's, uh, it's not four wheel drive. So <laughs> there's a couple times too, where we had snow and ice and, uh, I backed down. I'm like, this could go bad. This could <laughs> It's not going to stop. I don't know what I'm going to do. So uh, then you get your boat off and we're fine. So um, adding a 12,000 pound winch on there. Um, what was the other one? But, you know, there's just little things. I, I've priced out painting on that and, and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, and then then we'll probably add some more blinds on some of the properties. Um, but yeah, probably if I go back to my most anticipated project is uh, getting that sailboat, sneak boat uh, build done and, and going. So I got, I actually purchased two. I found one for $150 and I found one for free. So, uh, wow. what, did, what, what did you, what did you end up finding? I mean, a little sunfish or what? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, uh, I think one is like a 12 foot and one's a 14 foot. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Came with all the cell stuff. They had no idea what I was going to do with it, but I'm like, you know what? It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. Uh, duck boat by the time I'm done with it. Dude, that is cool. That is super cool. Hey, I had an idea um, about your, you say you were getting cold and you get cold in that with that little wood stove in that bus. Something, sure. something that we do out here on our big game hunts when we're in wall tents with similar type of stoves is when we go to bed, we'll put a um, half a bag or a bag, if it'll fit it, a bag of charcoal in that stove. Huh. And that it'll, is a good idea. That burns all night long and it'll keep that your tent. Keep your tent warm. Huh. So once it once it burns down to the coals, you put it in there or what? Yeah. I mean, once you can fit it in, um, and we use being out here, we we've got access to lump coal, you know, raw coal for like they put yeah, power yeah. power plants. And so we'll go, you can go get a five-gallon bucket of that or a couple five-gallon buckets of that and use that too. But in a pinch, 
Yeah, man, just good old charcoal briquettes <laughs> like you'd cook on and just yeah. throw half a bag in there and it's cheap and it'll keep your it'll keep your bus warm, surprisingly warm for a long time. I'll add that to my list. That's a great idea. Yeah, no, it was funny you said that because I was like, yep, I know what it's like to get up at all hours of the night when it's cold and stoke a wood stove. <laughs> yeah, and when you're when you're the guy with the bus, you know, it's almost like everybody just expects you to to get up all night and it's like yeah okay, it's not a bus for me but it's you're the guy with the tent so guess what your job yeah. is to stoke the fire <laughs> oh yeah oh my gosh dude that is so cool that uh that brings back memories man talking to you there was uh there was a place in michigan that that was pretty interesting and in, in when i was working on my on my graduate degree i met a kid and he had a he had a duck camp over uh in this area and we went over a couple of times man and they had it was so specialized the way that they had to haunt this place that their camp was set up they had it dialed and it was so so unique to that spot in that area and that type of hunting that i i've I'd never seen anything quite like it before and i've never seen anything like it since um you talk about making youtube series i think it would be interesting to to explore some of that unique culture, you know, around where you guys are. Um, you're pretty close to a lot of stuff back there out here. There's not a lot of culture, not a lot of waterfall history, not a lot of waterfall culture. So I have to go quite a ways. I mean, I have good local hunting, but I have to go quite a ways to get into anything else. And it's, it's all pretty much the same, but man, where you guys are, you've got everything from hunting rivers, like, some of your late, yeah, one late goose hunt, you're hunting that river. Um, and it looked like you're hunting another river system in, in another duck hunt that I saw to cornfields, you know, dry land stuff to big water. You know, you're talking about doing sneak boats and layout type boats. You could get into the big, the whole big water diver scenario on the Great Lakes too. So yeah. much, so much duck hunting opportunity where back there where you are. Oh yeah, definitely some good variety, like you said, and it's, it is cool to definitely, uh, uh, when you get in certain areas, you see the, the duck hunting culture and, um, honestly where I'm at, you know, it's, there's not a ton of that, but it is funny when you travel, you know, I don't have to travel far, like you're saying, uh, two areas that have good waterfowl, you know, just have, uh, waterfowl hunting that's pretty consistent and all that. It's, it is a cultural thing. It's almost like a generational thing that's passed on. Uh, which is super cool to see. And, and when you get in those areas, it's like, it's no, uh, it's a uh, no strange thing to be driving around and you see John boats with mud motors and people's yards and all that. And once you're, you, when you hit an area like that, you're like, okay, I'm in a good area. So <laughs> <laughs> just like a, a sure sign that anytime you're passing uh, John boats with mud motors in the front yard, you're in the right area. So, yep. Yep. No, you are spot on, man. No, no kidding. That, you know, it's funny too because you've got two. You kind you kind of live in between two major metropolitan areas with Chicago and Detroit, both of which have tremendous waterfowl opportunities just out just outside city limits. You know, and, and that's something that doesn't really get talked about very much. But that would make man. If I lived back there, I would I would seriously think about doing a, a YouTube series on some you know, urban duck hunting, Detroit in particular. Oh my gosh, that river, they can get some phenomenal hunts on that thing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. 
Uh, it's super cool, but yeah, man, it's fun. It's fun watching your stuff and, and talking to you because it takes me back. That's, that's definitely a blast from the past. And, uh, it's super cool. I, uh, what was your, on last year's hunts, what was your favorite one? If you had to pin it down. Oh man, that'd be a tough one. You know, um, you know, we had, we had a certain area, a certain spot that I locked down last year and it just turned out to be um, a really good area. Every time we went um, to this spot, and I think we hunted it three times and every time we went, we had a three man limit. So, um, and that's, uh, you know how Michigan is where the public lakes are um, private access. I don't know how, how a better way to say it. The Michigan water laws, um, which, you know, water laws differ in every state across, across the country, but um, it's public land. The lakes are public land, but you got to have permission from the landowner to even hunt touching their area. And that's probably, maybe that's different from when you live there. Cause I know that's uh, not the way it's always been, but that's something that uh, more recently they've, they've switched to. So anyways, uh, talk to the that's, land. That's interesting here. because it's no, it wasn't like that. Um, it was, there was a public access on that lake as long as you were within, or as long as you were, you know, 150 or I don't remember exactly how far, but yeah, you had to be right, a certain 100. distance from a domicile or a building you could hunt as long as you yep. weren't, you know, touching the shoreline or touching the bank. Um, and there was a lot of stuff that I hunted back in those days that I just throw my canoe in the water on some of these small at the boat launch. Right. And just go up. I had a little, at a flat back 17 foot canoe back in those days with a little electric motor on it. And I could go anywhere I wanted to really quickly with that um, until everything iced up. But yeah, man, that's, that's interesting because I never, you know, private lakes, there were lakes, any lake that had no public access to it. Those were the ones that we had, you had to get permission to hunt. But yeah, if there was a public, public access site on it, you could hunt it as long as you weren't setting foot on physical property. Yeah. So they've changed that. And I don't know how long ago that was 10 years or so um, from what I've, what I've gathered, but it was, uh, you know, that's uh, since I started hunting, it's always been that way. Um, Interesting. Which, you know, in Indiana, it's the opposite. It's kind of like you said, if it's public access, uh, then you're, you're free game to hunt it. And, uh, you know, going to Michigan, it's a little different. So um, you can kind of take that two ways, because if you get permission from the landowner to hunt that public lake and in the area that they own, so it has to be uh, in that, you know, in between the boundaries of their property. Um, well, then that's, you know, more or less, that's your spot. So um if you can get the access it's great if you have trouble getting the access then that's when it's a, a little troublesome but uh right. anyways i locked down this spot um talked to the landowner and, and he gave us the green light to to hunt um you know and, and butt up against his property and get up into cattails and uh you know that was uh you know probably our most productive spot and the first time we went out there you know we went in blind you know we, we knew that there's a lot of birds in the area we've seen them scouting but you know it's all about talking to the landowner and and locking it down and so we get out there and it was just like feathers all over the water and we're like oh yeah this, this is going to be good and uh you know the other kind of cool thing is i had my brother-in-law in town and he comes up you know about once a year to hunt with me he lives in in tennessee so he comes up he's not a, a big waterfowl hunter but when he comes up, I always do my best to try to get him on some good hunts. You know, he's coming up, he's spending the money, getting the license, all that kind of stuff. And so you feel a little bit of <laughs> pressure to, you know, on yourself to, to give him a, a good hunt. And, uh, 
sure enough, man, it seems like every time, I don't know what it is, but he gets on one of the best hunts of the year. So uh, we set up in um, in the cattails and, you know, first light comes and these birds aren't even thinking twice. I mean, they're flying low and decoying right in, no problem. I mean, 10 yards away and every single one of them. And it, I mean, it was, I don't even know if it was an hour and we had our three-man limit, so. <laughs> Dude, those are the ones you got to love. It almost, those hunts are crazy. Cause it's like everything happens so fast that you look back at the, when it's over and you're like, it just happened. That is that yeah. really, is that really over? I don't, it was just, a, it's just kind of, <laughs> it can be like a blur, you know? Yep. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah that's, and, and, that sounds epic, dude. Yeah. And I had uh, I don't know if you've seen the boat I bought this year, but I got, I call it the duck torpedo. It's a little uh, fiberglass over wood boat it's a sneak boat as well and uh <laughs> we had that we took the three of us um shooting my grandpa's gun you know having having my brother-in-law with me mallard's coming in we we're we we're coming off of a little bit of a rough spurt and you know all the pieces just kind of fell together so um yeah hunts like that and then you know if i if i'm thinking of another hunt um something i used to do a lot is just solo hunt and that's really how i i got started you know um we talk about hunting and, and i was telling you early on uh, that I just had to jump in and it's either learn to, to swim or sink. And, and, uh, I went hunting by myself 11 times, uh, before I shot my first duck <laughs> Whoa! Went out there. I bought a, I bought a, uh, canoe off Craigslist cause Facebook marketplace wasn't a thing yet. Um, <laughs> drove, I think I drove like two and a half hours, picked up a little 14 foot canoe, uh, bought, I think it was two dozen or maybe it was one dozen, uh, flambo, uh, decoys and and uh a little uh, duck commander duck call and um i bought like camel pants and a camo jacket from um a sporting goods store and had my uh fly fishing waders and that's that's how i started me and my uh, six month old uh lab and it took me 11 times to finally go out there and and shoot a duck but uh so kind of you know one of the hunts from this year uh was a little bit of a throwback to that i i you know had uh, way better upgraded gear than I did when I started and a, a way better knowledge base and, and all that kind of stuff. But me and my dog went out one morning, it was a cold morning and a lot of things kind of got skim ice on it. So we went out on the river and set up on this little timber hole and uh, you know, we didn't see a ton of ducks. There was, you know, but there was quite a few that, you know, f were flying up and, and down the river. And um, we just had, I don't even know, you know, a half dozen, uh, drop in there and I took three mallard greenheads and just me and my dog super calm morning you know the sun coming up you can see like the the steam rising off the water because it's just the, the right cold conditions and it was just picturesque you know nice laid back hunt and having those birds I mean they decoyed right into our little set and uh, it was you know like I said it's a lot of fun to go out there with with your buddies and hunt and and uh you know some of those hunts get high pace and high action but just having one me and my dog laid back and birds cupping in shooting them right over the decoys and and having good old chief jump in the water and bring them back so heck um, yeah man heck yeah. yeah two two different extremes having the fast pace tons of birds three-man limit um to the you know public land right there on the river and and getting it done that way solo yeah, oh, that is that is super cool. I thanks for sharing that with us. And you brought up a point about when you first got started that you didn't have 
the latest and greatest gear. You didn't have some hot bread dog. You didn't have any of this stuff. You didn't even have, you didn't even know what you were doing, but you still went out, grounded out, learned as you went. And pretty soon the pieces start to come together. And that my, I guess what I'm saying is there is no barrier to entry with this. It's how, it's how bad you want it, you know, because you can go, you can go buy secondhand stuff. You can go, you know, pound on doors, get permission. And, and it's, it's easier to do in some places than it is in others. But, you know, if there's a will, there's a way. And your story right there just proves that. Yep. Yep. No, you're, you're definitely right on that. It's, uh, you know, something that, that, uh, if you want to do, you know, there's, it's, it's really not, I, I can't say that there's never been a better time to do it, but there's, there's a lot of resources out there and, and how I kind of got going, you know, it, I shouldn't say uh, it's really not no better time to do it, but there is, there is resources, you know, it's, it's different. A lot of people, it was passed on generationally in the past, you, uh, you had your dad hunting and your grandpa hunting and they invited you to come took with you took you with you on on early hunts and and that's you know that was the mentorship that we had and that's that is something that's lost a, a lot of places today unless you're you know you're blessed to live in one of those areas we talked about earlier where it is tradition and it is something that uh you know you have either your buddies doing it or your your uh, relatives doing it and they can bring you along which you know Michigan's a great state for for that you know you do see a lot of that traditional kind of passed down um hunting uh in Michigan but you know it's not that way everywhere and there but there are resources that there haven't been in the past you know for me when I wanted to get into waterfowl hunting you know I turned to YouTube I watched um freelance duck hunting which is my co-host of the podcast now um oh that's cool I didn't know that that's cool man good yep and I, and I listened to podcasts and, and, and tried to get my knowledge base from, from the combata- combination of the two. And it still took me 11 times to get my first duck. And partially, you know, I did have some opportunities that I missed on. And, um, oh, sure. But like you said, it's, uh, it's a lot easier once you know what you're doing and, and where you're going and that you got to scout. And, um, you know, if, if you can blow a duck call and it doesn't sound like a kazoo, you know, that kind of helps too. And, <laughs> all the all the the growing pains and that you got to go through if you're gonna you know dive into it on your own yeah no you're you're our spot on spot on what um what was the most difficult thing that you ran up against you think um as far as like when i when i was getting into it and getting yeah 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 that's a that's an interesting question you know i'm trying to take a a second to think yeah what think, it would be think that one over man because it's that's you know, something as you think and I'll, I'll kind of extrapolate on that and what i mean by that is that you know i had i had the good fortune to be introduced to waterfowl hunting as a kid um growing up in michigan everybody we all did it granddad did it and still the love of bird hunting in general and hunting overall in us and so i kind of learned as i went from a lot of guys that's been doing it for a long time and you get told stuff and you get shown things and you get to experience things and do things yourself and trial and error. And pretty soon you're getting to the point where if you're passionate about it, you're probably pretty good at it. And, uh, it's just something that's stuck with me, but I, you know, I think back on one of the most difficult things for me 
was just wind shooting in general, you know, practice, 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 and finally getting good enough where I could consistently hit birds um, as, a, as a young man was, that was a pretty big deal. And, and, it, and it took a long time. It took a lot of practice, but yeah. Yeah. I would definitely say that that was uh, one of the things for sure. You know, if you go into it and I'd shot clays before and, you know, I'd, I'd done a little bit of quail hunting, but that was, you know, when you're, there's a big difference between quail hunting with a, you know, a group of group of guys um, and uh, you know, duck hunting on your own. And um, you know, one of the things with wing shooting was being able to judge distance and, and not only that, but uh, understanding that <laughs> there's certain shots you shouldn't take if you go into it by yourself. You know, I remember because I, I actually talked to some guys at the boat ramp after my first time. And, you know, I said, hey, um, like, how far is it? Like, how far of a shot should you take at a duck? Because, I mean, I, I really just didn't have sure the knowledge base, you know, and I'm like, and they're like, oh, and I can't remember what yardage he said. And I'm like, we're standing there. I'm like, so is that top of that tree? Is that that distance? Or he's like, oh, no, that's way too far. You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, that's just something that uh, if, if you don't have any knowledge base and you don't have anybody else that's gone with you, you know, it's you're, you're it's just you and birds flying by. And in, in those 11 hunts, you know, it was uh, I, I probably shot at birds passing by, you know, um, I don't know, maybe half the hunts, but it's, I didn't hit anything, you know? So, right. Right. Um, you know, and, and so not only that, but probably most of those were passing shots. So, and then the other thing, you know, one of the, the big things when, when you start feeling kind of pieces go together is concealment and even, you know, experience hunters, that can be a hard one, but once you can have that concealment down, you know, you're not going to be just shooting at birds at first light. You're going to be able to finish them even when, you know, it's bright out, um, and they're, they're able to see, you know, you get, you can get away with a lot on the first 30 minutes of a hunt because the birds can't see. Right. Um, but once that, that sun comes out and it's bright, or even if it's cloudy day and, um, it's light outside and there's no shadows cast, you know, they're, they're not going to finish if you're not concealed. Right. And then, then all you're taking is pass passing shots. So if you can get that concealment, um, you know, then, then you're going to be finishing those birds a lot closer and you know it's a little different than uh turkey hunting how we talked about those close range shots and turkey hunting are a lot harder well in waterfowl it's, it's the opposite you know you can open up your choke uh you can run improved cylinder you can run cylinder i mean you can and uh have those close shots be a lot more forgiving uh when the birds are slowed down they're in the decoys almost landing almost not moving you know right. um compared to you know those past shots where they're going 30 miles per hour left to right or straight at you or straight away um so you know there, there was just a lot to learn and it's just that learning curve and and once you get there you know once you get a couple seasons under your belt doing all that you know a lot of that stuff um comes together and then it's it's really small things that you got to learn and get better at compared to just knowing what to do uh, that's a good point. That's, that's something that I think a lot of us out there that have been doing it a long time um, don't even realize, you know, good, good for you, man, to be able to like step away from your ego enough to walk up to strangers in a boat launch and be like, how far is too far? The trees or because <laughs> there's so many dudes out there that just be like, yeah, I'll figure it out, you know, and, yep. and won't ask, you know, the old cliche about not asking directions but <laughs> that's it's spot on you know and i see guys struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and struggle and of course i did the same thing for a long time 
where if I wouldn't have had the mentors that I had as a kid, no, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely can agree with you on that. That's cool. That's cool. Well, how did you, how did you get into the whole YouTube and, and, and podcasting world? You know, I'm sitting here looking at your YouTube page, like I said, and you've got impressive view counts. You've got nice, a nice number of subscribers, man. Congratulations on that. That's a hard Appreciate thing. It, That's a hard thing to pull off. Yeah, it really is, man. It's a, uh, it's, it's tough to jump into an industry like that where so many people want to do it, you know, and, and to, um, kind of, you know, be somewhat at the forefront, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm, I'm bragging at all, you know, it's a, it's, but it, it is, it is a difficult thing to do. And, you know, something that, uh, <laughs> YouTube still can baffle me, you know, to this day, as, as far as like, sometimes it feels like, uh, we got some woo woo or black magic to, <laughs> to <laughs> behind the, the whole thing. It's, it's, uh, you know, it's sometimes it feels like it's a mystery, but, um, you know, I'm sure if you had to break down, you know, some, some luck and some, uh, some hard work, you know, involved on both ends of that for sure. Um, but I appreciate you. Yeah. Uh, saying that, but as far as how I got into it, man, it's, <laughs> I really don't know. It was not some like, uh, I didn't have a plan or a scheme of I'm going to start making YouTube videos and here I, I keep making them six, six years later. You know, that's not really wasn't my plan going into. I just kind of wanted to uh, film it and document it and, and have it for my own kind of memory. And, and next thing you know, it's just more and more people are watching it and, you know, just keep going, going from there. So some of that's uh right time and right place for sure. Uh, but it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun and man, I can't imagine not filming, you know, uh, the hunts just so you can look back on them from, from year to year. Yeah, no, it's, that's super cool, man. Yeah. It's, it, that's, you, it's funny you say that about like the black magic thing, because that's something that obviously we're, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, we've got a YouTube channel. I've got, I've got a couple things that did really well. And a lot of things that didn't do as well as I was hoping they would do, yeah. but, uh, mm -hmm. It's just funny. Some things you think, oh, this is going to kill it. It's like, nope, crickets. It's it's just <laughs> wild. It's just wild how that yeah. works, you know. And it's and it, it seems like it's all, you know, we could talk about algorithm forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> it does. It's, it is crazy because it, it comes down to like what when you break it down, you know, it's like what people are actually willing to watch, you know. And it's like you said, I used to uh, try for a much more cinematic uh, approach to it um and that because that was something i enjoyed was having some high quality shots you know the b-roll and having uh you know focus on you know certain part and, and not out you know out of focus and all the stuff that you see kind of in professional cinematic stuff and that's kind of what I, uh, I strived for um but then i realized that it <laughs> sometimes people just want to see the action so um yeah, there, there's a lot to learn on, on that, on that side of it. And, and it's something that I think that as soon as you learn it, it kind of progresses and changes and, and you just have to kind of stick, stick with, you know, always learning um, when you're, when you're making your, your, your films or, you know, you're, uh, you're uh, perfecting your craft kind of, kind of in a way. And it's, uh, you know, it, it's just a lot of fun. If you don't have a passion for it, then you know it's it's not something that that you're going to keep doing you know it's a and it, it kind of goes hand in hand with with our passion for waterfowl i'm sure you're, you're kind of the same way with with what you create and, and what you film and all that because um 
you know, at the end of the day, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's not, uh, it's not a get rich scheme or anything like that. We, you know, from time to time, um, with someone with a YouTube channel, you might hear that from people, but it's like, nah, that's, that's not, that's not happening. It's not what it's about for sure. I, so. I can count the number of people I know that got rich on YouTube on one hand, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and there's a handful. I mean, you look at, there's, there's some people that, I mean, they make a living at it. There's no doubt about it, but you know, that's not me. <laughs> I've got a nine, I've got a nine to five. You can see where I'm recording. I'm in my day job office, you know, this is what, this is what you do, but no, it's interesting, man. It's, it's like you said, you could, you, we could sit here and talk algorithm all day long, but uh, dude, I, Jordan, I appreciate your time, man. I had a good time visiting with you and uh, I look forward to continuing to, to follow you and watch what you do and watch your watch stuff progress and, see what see this this project these boats man that's going to be super fun to watch but i really appreciate your time and i've got to ask you one kind of one question in closing if you could only hunt one bird one way for the rest of your life what's it going to be yeah man i appreciate you having me on um talking you know talking waterfowl it's always fun talking talking to like-minded individuals that are passionate about it and uh you know i can and i can tell that you know just just from talking with you this last hour, you know, uh, that that's something you're passionate about as well. You know, that's the cool thing about hunters. We can never have met, never have talked, never have seen each other. And, and, uh, you know, one, one mention of, of birds and, and we're, we're both going nutty. So <laughs> um, we have, yeah, we have to remember, awesome. we have to remember that dude on our, on our online fights and forum fights when we start <laughs> razzing on each other it's like we can be our best our own best friends or we can be our worst enemies it's up to us oh yeah yeah it's like it's like the old meme it's like if uh if you meet a, a duck hunter in the grocery store you're both like ah you know yeah. and, and it, it yeah. all happens. but if you meet if you meet at the boat ramp it's you know it's, it's yeah funny. buddy <laughs> that's so true the old saying of there's is, yep. there's you yep. and your buddies and then there's all the assholes out there oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh it's funny the way it works but anyway back to my question yeah if i if i only could hunt one bird um one way man it's it's got to be the mallard um and, you know that's that's probably what it, you're going to hear from most people but there's something about that green bird and just the vocalization that that it has and, and being able to communicate back and forth and and almost the challenge of it too. It's a little bit more weird. You can't get away with as much as you can with like a wood duck, which a wood duck's a beautiful bird. Um, and just the vocalization and work in it and, and the places you can hunt it um, pretty much trumps all the other birds, whether it's wood ducks or geese or, or any of the other puddle ducks um, for me. So um, not only that, but there is the variety. But you said I got to pick one place. Um, and for me, that would be um, public land marshes for sure. So you get, get a, you get the challenge, you get the, uh, uh, you know, it's the fact when you're on public land that anybody could have gone out there and got those birds and, and I went out and did it. So, uh, that's, that's kind of where I would, I would fall on that question. Heck yeah, man. I, I like that answer a lot. I'm, I'm kind of with you, especially on the mallard thing. That's, that's a hard bird to top. That's for sure. All the different ways you can hunt it. And you're right. That is the number one answer. Uh, the number one answer for the, for bird anyway, is definitely mallard all the different ways you can do it. But well, dude, I really appreciate your time. And like I said, I'm looking forward to, um, keeping track of where your projects go and we'll have to do this again, maybe do an update on the, uh, on the sneak boat project and 
maybe touch base again towards closer to fall and see what your what your plans are. Awesome, man. Anytime. Glad to glad to jump on. All right, cool, Jordan. Thanks, man. Thank you.